Toto has to get on the phone and say, Jesus, George, give it a rest already. Drive your car, son. <laughs> Let's see what we can do here. It was one of the toughest races of the season as the F1 Circus arrived in Lucille for the Qatar Grand Prix in the sweltering heat. We're here and ready to debrief an eventful Grand Prix weekend for Mercedes, from significant tyre issues through to Lewis Hamilton's and George Russell's coming together and all of its ramifications. Thanks for joining me, Valve Baines, on this episode of the Silver Arrows podcast. And to help us do all of that, we have Cara Bostock from Sky Sports and Matt Trumpets from the Missed Apex podcast. Cara, how's it going? I'm well. I'm super happy to be back and lots of Mercedes drama to discuss. <laughs> we love a, love a bit of drama. Matt, how are you doing over in, in the States? Wait, did something happen? Did I miss something? <laughs> yeah, doing fine here. Doing fine. <laughs> We'll, we'll talk about it in this pod. So, as always, we'll start in chronological order. FP1, no upgrades, Matt, but lots and lots of tyre chat. Uh, yeah, so this is a fascinating um, occurrence because they essentially resurfaced the entire track, reprofiled the curbs that were problematic in 21, and did no running on that whatsoever till everybody showed up to race and showed up to race with a different kind of car from a different regulation set than had previously raced there. And it was a sprint weekend, so the teams only had one hour with a brand new car on the track and no real usable historical data to see if they'd guessed their, their, their uh, setup right. And, it, it, and they actually, I think, mostly did a good job. But what no one could foresee was what those curbs were going to do to the Pirelli tires. Yeah, I, I'm like, are we getting into tire chat straight away? Uh, it was sort of, I suppose, from qualifying, which I'm sure we'll get onto and brought a lot more positives, I want to say, for Mercedes compared to Japan. And there was all these worries. We remember the blowouts from Qatar in previous years. And yeah, we know that Mercedes, their car really goes when they get into that magic tire window. So with such fickle conditions, it was about how they could use that opportunity. Other thing that made the session challenging, um, aside from the temperatures not being fully representative, was that there had been a huge dust storm and it was still quite windy. And of course, there's no support series here. So, so essentially you had the first half of fp1 the cars were just basically very glorified street sweepers just cleaning the track and you could see massive track evolution and not everybody ran like um this is actually okay you know i feel bad they always ask me oh do you want to talk about anything i'm like what what happened in fp1 and then i start talking about it and then i remember what happened uh there were four teams that i don't think used any soft tires in fp1 and i'm pretty sure Mercedes was one of them. And I do believe that was a tactical choice. I know the most of the midfield teams didn't. They, they, they only use the medium and, and possibly the hard. And that's because it's a sprint weekend and those extra softs they thought might be valuable. It definitely is one of the most expensive street sweepers I've ever seen, uh, Matt, on a, on a trap. But let's get on to Quali, Cara. The 
the temperature, the sand, the dust, it all played a part in Mercedes' fortunes in that race and also the other other cars as well. Yeah, it was a good qualifying for Mercedes. They looked strong and like we said, they almost managed to find that magic window. And I'm skipping to the end here, but initially we thought obviously it was Piastri up there and then his time got deleted mid-interview after qualifying. It was like, oh, this is Mercedes P2 and P3. And obviously most people tend to just ignore Max in the championship now. So um, that was a really good thing. But getting straight back into tyre chat, and I apologize because there probably is going to be a lot of tyre chat this podcast. Um, the tyre wall was inspected and Pirelli were not happy. They were worried, again, like I've said, they were going to blow and they wanted to get rid of these pyramids on the curb. So then prior to the sprint qualifying and the sprint race the next day, they're like, we're changing the makeup of the track. We're changing the corners because we're worried the tyres aren't going to be able to deal with this. So some real positives there for Mercedes. I don't know if Matt wants to go into those highs a bit more, but then all this drama sort of setting the tone from the get-go of how this weekend is going to go. Yeah, I'm busy looking up my notes on resonance from uh, Wikipedia here. Uh, No, it's an interesting story because those curbs are FIA-approved curbs. The circuit installed them correctly. All this was approved, but what nobody really understood was that running the tires at that speed, I think it was particularly uh, turns 12 and 13 were where the issue was. Running the tires at that speed created not only like mechanical damage, especially when the cars would go too far and drop off the backside because they're brand new curves. So everything, all the edges are going to be as sharp as they're going to be. But also it created this tone you could hear on, on the onboards. And that was because you were at a resonance uh, frequency of the tire. And that was actually causing the tire to act like an amplifier and putting more energy into the sidewall. And so Pirelli, when they were inspecting the tires, microscopically, they saw that the what they call the topping compound or, or the compound that actually sits on top of the tire and is responsible for the grip was separating, meaning you separate from the cords underneath that make up the bulk of the tire. And that was doing it right at the sidewall. And if that, if they drove the tires long enough, the entire sidewall would separate from the tread, which is similar to what we saw at Silverstone. And um, was it 21 where Lewis finished with the three, finished on, on, on three wheels, basically? And uh, immediately, although they said the tires were nowhere near failure in the state they examined them because of the kind of failure it would be, it became a very big safety concern for Pirelli and the FIA, and I think correctly so. I think this begs a question then, Matt. Why was this not sorted out before the race weekend had started? Uh, well, uh, there was a, a lovely interview uh, with Nicholas Tambazis uh, talking about this, and he said basically, well, eh, tires, curbs, it, it can just be complicated. Essentially, what happened was any all of the simulations they ran with this track setup with with uh, um, on whatever computer, whether it was driver in the loop or not, I don't know, didn't turn this up as a possibility. And again, this is because uh, when it comes to like resonances like that, if if they had been five kilometers faster or slower over those curbs, we might not have seen this issue. It was just this very unique combination of how long they were on the curb, the exact speeds they were going, 
and the weight of the car and just sort of, you know, all of this came together to create this problem, you wouldn't have been able really probably to predict it. I mean, uh, there's a Mercedes. Let's talk about Mercedes. Think about how wrong Mercedes was with their whole car based on their simulations when they showed up at the start of this regulation set. And they, they spent probably more time and money doing that than Pirelli and FIA did simulating this new track layout. They didn't anticipate any problems. These curbs have never caused this problem before. So, you know, why would they worry about it that much? It's just sort of a freak occurrence that obviously is going to be looked at a lot more closely going forward now that it's happened. And I, I expect you'll see some, some new rules about when you can use those sort of pyramid type curbs if you're going to have Formula One cars uh, racing on your circuit. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you for that, Matt. I was just just really curious on, on why it wasn't done before. So, Matt, thank you so much for that explanation. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Moving on to the sprint shootout, Cara, there was a, a track change in the in the race on turns 12 and 13. Yes. So we had this strange 10 minute practice session before the sprint qualifying where the tires were just absolutely destroyed. And I don't think the teams learned much at all other than that the drivers are going to struggle to stay in the track limits. So then we had a chaotic sprint race qualifying after that, where Hamilton really struggled. He had in Q2, he had his lap time deleted and we were like, oh no, he's gone out because of going over track limits. But then it turns out he wouldn't have been quick enough anyway. And after him and George doing so well in the race qualifying the day before, you're like, how have they got this wrong with the tire temperatures? Is it these two changes of corners? Is it these such fickle conditions? So then Lewis ended up starting that P12. Yeah, it, it's really, it was, you know, honestly, I know everybody thinks qualifying is perfect, but I enjoy the shortened qualifying session too, just for the maximum amount of chaos that it seems to bring to everybody. Um, and it's fun because the drivers simply don't get as many bites at the apple 
And uh, so for, for some drivers who are immediately as fast as they're going to be, this is an advantageous setup if you don't get hung up in traffic trying to get your outlap in. And I, I seem to recall Mercedes managed this mostly pretty well. But again, this could, be a, this could just be a simple problem of Lewis didn't have the gap that he needed at the time he needed it to go that fast. I, I do recall, because I looked at some other team radio, that some teams were trying to get gaps ahead, gap to the driver ahead before they start their push lap, of up to eight seconds. I think Red Bull was around five. But if you found yourself inside of that margin, then, then you're struggling somewhat with the dirty air of the car ahead of you. And, you know, at the margins that we were seeing, it was like, what, half a second amongst the top 10? It, it didn't take a lot to be on the wrong side of that. And, and something as simple as, oh, you know, you had a gap, but then one person passed another person and that person slowed down extra and you had someone behind you and you also had the maximum times that you couldn't exceed according to the race director's notes. Well, then suddenly there you are stuck three and a half seconds behind someone and your lap is essentially ruined because you don't have the full performance of the car. So I don't know exactly what it was, but it could have been any number of tiny things given the competitiveness of the field. Yeah, no, it definitely was. And moving on to, to Sprint Cara, Lewis did such a fantastic job to work himself up to P5 from P12. Yeah, this was the Lewis Hamilton we're used to seeing. I think there was a few outliers in his behavior this weekend, perhaps, but not in the sprint race in terms of the overtaking, climbing the field. It was obviously a hugely chaotic start. We had, I think, three safety cars, safety car on the first lap. And that obviously helped him, the bunching up of the pack, being able to overtake. But I think the thing is, with Hamilton, he has that determination. He's that racer. So as soon as he had that setback to P12, he's like, okay, let me climb up. And he ends up only finishing one place behind his teammate, which when we knew Mercedes was starting P2, P3 in the full race, that's really exciting. And I just want to add, obviously, Max not winning a race. I think if you're a Mercedes fan, you're probably an anti-Max fan. So maybe that was quite a joyous moment as well for some people listening. And let's not forget the other super important thing about this uh, sprint race. And part of what really did help Lewis out a lot is that uh, more than a few people in the top 10 opted to run the soft tire. And it was in this race, we discovered how unsuited for racing that soft tire actually was. I saw a picture, I think uh, Karun Chandok put it up, of Lando's, is it Lando's tire? I don't know, somebody's soft tire. And you could just see a tremendous amount of graining on it. Yeah, so uh, clearly in the cooler temperatures, the soft tire was not going to be great in the race for more than... You know, I, I, I figured four to eight laps and uh, I was talking with Mike Caulfield and he said eight laps maximum on the soft tire. And and that's if you could really get it to work properly. Cara, you mentioned um, one particular driver and I think it'd be remiss of us not to mention and congratulate Max Verstappen on winning the 2023 uh, Drivers World Championship. So congratulations to him. But we are a Mercedes focus podcast. So Cara, let's talk about that collision. Let's talk about turn one on the first lap. What happened? 
gosh, we are getting into it. So despite us saying how terrible the softs were for race strategy and how degraded they were, Lewis is going on them. George has his line and Lewis gets that great start and he's coming around the side. And obviously we know that two doesn't go into one in the corner there. And as Lewis is coming around, he clips George and he takes both of them out. Now you're getting flashbacks to... Spain 2016, obviously not quite the same relationship here between um, Hamilton and Rosberg in terms of fighting for a championship. And there is a lot of drama on the radio. Russell's like, that's two races in a row. Lewis is like, I've got taken out by my own teammate. So straight away, they're sort of both blaming each other. But I think perhaps luckily in this situation, George survives and it's Lewis who's then out of the race. And... Hamilton has later come out and said that he's held his hands up and he said, it's a hundred percent my fault. There's, you know, I think it's been a really noble reaction from him. We see so many of these tensions between teammates. And when we look at someone like Max or Perez in Red Bull, there's often not that camaraderie or willingness to hold your hands up. And I think that's been sort of the difference here where Lewis has looked back at it and said, it's a hundred percent my fault. And I think perhaps George, after I heard him say on the radio as well, he was thinking flashbacks to him and Bottas in, what was it, was it Imola a few years ago when they crashed and George was really having a go, but actually it turned out to be his fault. So he was clawing it back a little bit just in case. Um, but I think he probably knew. And then we even, sorry, I'm just memorizing all the radio chat here. We even had Toto Wolf calling him from home. which was like, oh my God, this is serious. Because um, they were saying how he wasn't here this weekend. The one race he's not here and they crash out. It just adds and adds to the layers. I think there are a few of my sort of spurtings there. Matt, if you want to sort of concrete down on any of that, I'm sure we'll have lots of thoughts to come back in with. You do wonder a bit what might have been said prior to the race that would cause George, who very obviously was not at fault for the incident at the time it occurred, to be so, well, what, self-flagellatory, to make up a word on the spot, for such an incredible length of time that, 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 that Toto has to get on the phone and say, Jesus, George, give it a rest already. Drive your car, son. <laughs> Let's see what we can do here. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's an intrigue to me because he was speaking as if he he had made he had potentially made some kind of error for which he either needed to protect himself or atone or possibly both. So we could speculate endlessly on that. But from a strategy point of view, from the from what we actually saw, the one major advantage of the soft tire was that it immediately was a good tire at the start, whereas the medium, and we saw this, we saw this absolutely in the sprint race, uh, people on the soft tires immediately made places in the first couple of laps. And then by about lap seven or eight, those tires were gone and the people on the medium started passing them like they had forgotten how to drive. So it was kind of not uh, much of a stretch to think that the plan would be because Lewis qualified third, would be to put him on, on a tire that wouldn't go very long, but try and get him in front of Max so that when that tire started to go off, he would essentially back Verstappen into Russell, who being more or less on the same tire, same strategy, 
would simply be able to perhaps undercut him. And this is also before we figured out that the undercut wasn't really going to work the way anyone expected it to. Um, so, uh, you know, I would say if you ask me, that was that was Mercedes' strategy. They probably told George not to fight Lewis too hard because he's on a different tire strategy. And, you know, I mean, he did pick up the toe from Max. Russell did and went wide, which forced Lewis wide. And then the mistake came. He just turned in a bit too soon to get round turn one. He would have easily had Russell through turn two and possibly even even Max on those tires. But uh, that's something that we'll never know, is it? I do think we need to say as well what a good job George Russell did, considering then he was flown to the bottom of the back of the pack even, and he climbed his way all the back all the way back up to P4. And I think it gives us so much hope for these Mercedes upgrades. And Qatar was a track you could move through, but that was some great racing from him. And after that moment, you're like, this is Mercedes race ruined. Hamilton's out. George has lost his head. And they did sort of, I suppose, what they're known for. They knuckled down and and they got through it with the strategy in the end. Uh, yeah, the recovery drive, uh, like once he got his head into it, uh, went very well. But it's also, and, and this is sort of a larger thing uh, about the race in general, because, um, nah, because they were limited to 18 maximum racing laps per set of tires. This was never going to be a race about your ability to manage tires all that much or to manage degradation all that much because, because the tires weren't ever going to get there. And, and Max made this point after the race saying, well, this is actually a hard race for us because one of our biggest advantages is we're just much better on the tires when they start to get into that degradation window. And we never got, we didn't really get close to it here. But if you look at the Fundamental driving differences, um, I'd say, you know, Norris and Piastri also come to mind, but uh, between uh, Lewis and George is that the one major advantage Lewis has always had in races is he's just been a bit better at managing the tires when you get into those degradation margins. This race was going to be always in George's wheelhouse. George is fast. And when he doesn't have to worry about the tires going off, he, he can really, and we saw it. He can really drive the car. I think it also helped Mercedes too, because their weakness at the rear end of the car was basically rendered irrelevant because, again, you weren't getting the tires to the point where they were going to hit that overheating phase and really slow them down. They weren't having to be as careful about sliding the rears. Therefore, they really could keep up with the other cars. There's a famous post-race interview with Sebastian Vettel and he's saying to Lewis how he's so good at massaging the tyres and he's massaging ladies and it's very, very funny. So if you haven't seen that post-race interview, definitely go and watch it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cara, speaking about Lewis, there was a fine that he received as well. Yeah, there was quite a persona to Lewis. I was a bit fearful for a moment because they've had this collision. It's Lewis's fault. And then he's walking out the car looking like someone in a James Bond film walking away from an explosion. Very bad boy vibes crossing the track. And he's received a £50,000 fine. I think it's suspended. So we'll see how that goes. But you're like, what is going on in his head right now? He's just crossing the track. And you can literally see George going behind him. So I thought, God, pure chaos for Mercedes. But then it wasn't. And they were best friends and they were hugging and they were shaking hands and it was all fine. And I did think it was really interesting, the unity of the team, how Toto was, as we said, is straight away on the radio. He's getting his troops in order. You will get on, you will shake hands and you'll be friends. And I do think that is real from them. But I think those things are so important in success, creating that positive culture. And yes, they're always going to be competitive, but it's really important when you have made a mistake to be able to move on quickly from it and there doesn't become this resentment. So we went from bad boy Lewis to then very quickly Lewis saying, it's 100% my fault and holding his hands up. Yeah, it's hard to argue it's not your fault once you look at the video. Even if, like I said, even if there were other things in the background that might have played into it, fundamentally, that was just a straight up mistake by Lewis. He didn't leave enough room. He just misjudged it. And so, and, and he's old enough, experienced enough, and I think, you know, obviously quite comfortable enough in the team to just hold up his hand and say, yeah, that's on me. And this, uh, this sometimes is, I think, what George is lacking as a driver right now. He seems to need some kind of validation that he hasn't, despite being on Mercedes, he needs to prove to himself something by validation. I don't think he needs it from the team. I think the team are looking at him and like, no, really, you're doing fine. Just don't drive into any more walls. You'll be okay. But I think in his own mind, to his own self, he has something that he hasn't quite proven yet. And, or maybe it's just maturity. Maybe, maybe, maybe just it's another year in the saddle and suddenly you take a slightly longer view of life. I don't know. But I think the two of them will be uh, much, uh, they're very well suited now in terms of their abilities. Um, certainly, I think George is a has been a bit better in qualifying. Lewis has been a bit better in the race. That's usually a decent combo. But I think a lot of the friction between them will disappear once George figures out whatever this thing is that he still seems to be seeking a bit. And, and you know, maybe it's because he came from Williams. He didn't have like, you know, he didn't already have podiums and stuff like that. So maybe it's more important to him or maybe he, he does feel despite 
you know, obviously what looks like he's going to be there for a long time. Maybe he doesn't quite feel that yet. Maybe he's still got that. I got to prove myself every race. Um, and sometimes I think that works to his detriment a bit. He's racing against someone in his team who has seven world championships and probably we'd say on this, this podcast, the greatest of all time. So I think that never goes away and you're constantly comparing yourself. And as you've said, I think they were equal going into this race weekend on who top qualifying. But then Lewis is third in the championship and George is eighth. And even though there's that chunk is very close together on points, that's still not a gap you want to be seeing with your teammate. So I imagine that is driving him a lot to get up there and be almost level with Lewis by the end of the season. I imagine that is a strong goal for him. No, no, I would believe that. But I think from uh, from a, a mental performance headspace, it's actually having a detrimental effect. In other words, I think he set, I think his expectations are not in line with reality currently. And I think that is where the, um, I think that is where the friction comes from because he takes chances he doesn't need to take and is trying to score points that he doesn't need to, to prove to the team he should be there. It's to prove to himself. And I, I, you know, again, that's why I call it, sometimes it's a maturity thing. You know, a, a comfortable enough driver will be beaten by their teammate and not be bothered by it because they know what they're capable of and they'll understand where the performance gap lay and they'll either make a plan to address it or understand that it was uh, unique circumstances setup was wrong you know, not the right amount of brake blanking on whatever it is couldn't get the car working for me but but they know they've done well also long enough to not be too bothered by it but but when you're new to it every weekend that you don't get exactly what you want makes you makes you more anxious makes you more keyed up there's more adrenaline but then that can work against you because you wind up taking chances you don't need to and actually costing yourself points. I mean, Singapore is, is sort of a great example in that he didn't, I mean, like I understand he got sucked into that by Norris, but he also got sucked into that like on the, what was it, the last lap, next to the last lap, when, when no one was going to pass him and he was almost certainly not going to pass Norris. So, so it's just that, that thing where you're like, I like to pass him. If the chance is there, I'll take it. But I'd also like to get to the end of the race in one piece. I think the mental aspect of the sport is not talked about enough. So listening to you two speak about it is definitely a, a breath of fresh air. So it definitely needs to be talked about. But sticking on George, Matt, what do you think his strategy was throughout the race with the mandatory tire runs and also the pit stops as well? Um, I, I think his basic strategy was go, 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 go. Uh, we heard Piastri say, he got out of the car, he's like, it was like 57 quali laps. And um, in fact, I, a number of drivers said that. The ones that could actually get out of the car by themselves, that is. Not the ones that had to be dragged out by their team. And uh, I actually looked at this, the, oh, 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 I don't have the number to hand. But it was a 23778 was the pole lap for Max Verstappen. His fastest lap in the race was a 24.316. It's about a 2% difference between qualifying and the race. Normally, if you go look at fastest lap, it's three or four seconds slower than pole position. 
it was an extraordinary race from that point of view. It absolutely played into Russell's hands. I mean, and you, but you could also see how hard he was working, lifting the visor, resting his hands, trying to get air into the cockpit, get air flowing into the cockpit, which is a problem a lot of teams had. And I think the strategy really for a Mercedes was because they pitted early, they ran sort of an offset strategy to the McLarens. And the goal was to get George to that magical eight laps from the end where he could run the sauce and have a massive performance advantage. And this is because if you do the basic math, three times 18 is 54, that leaves you three laps left over for your other tire. And that, that, that means that, that they could run him long each stent, have him have clear air to drive into because of the offset, and then leave him with a very short chase where he wasn't, any he wasn't threatened from behind. And he, he could really just go for it on the soft tire. Unfortunately, uh, the soft tire wasn't good for that. And we could see after about three laps, the graining started because graining is also something that happens when it gets colder. And so either he overheated the tire and it was graining or, or they weren't, the fronts weren't staying up to temperature and they were graining. But either way, once that happens, the performance goes away until or unless it clears. And there just weren't enough laps left for that to happen. Yeah, George's soft tires just completely crumbled at the end. And it was a worry how close Leclerc was getting. And you think about the conditions him and all the drivers were dealing with towards the end of the race. You know, people throwing up, struggling to see, like chronic dehydration. And then you're also trying to drive on these tires that are doing nothing for you and, and hold your position. And I was thinking actually how Hamilton crashed out on the first lap and didn't finish this race. And there's been a lot of talk after about the conditions and how this can't happen again. We know we've gone past the limit of here of what the drivers can deal with. And I think if Hamilton had been in that race, the voices after would have been even stronger because he is such a pinpoint and he is someone who is so listened to and the media share so widely and almost transcends the sport that if he'd had that first-hand experience and spoke on it, I think that would have had even more impact. And I think that shows sort of his greatness in the sport in some ways that, as I've said, he transcends it and he feels so passionate to speak about these things he cares about. Yeah, and I think you're also getting into a, an interesting place where George being head of the Grand Prix Drivers Association, well, whatever you might say about his racing, in terms of being head of that organization, he has been very forward about pushing for conditions and better racing uh, for the drivers. So I do expect there'll be some discussions about, about conditions, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting to hear more about it because I had always understood that that part of the duct at the very front of the car was, was ostensibly for driver cooling. And yet all the drivers were saying they weren't getting air in the cockpit. So I don't know if that ducting has changed or if there was something about this regulation set that makes it not as effective. But I do know the humidity was very high. The ambient temperature was, was higher than it 
normally is for a race. Track temperature really wasn't that bad. I mean, like Malaysia, I don't any of you remember watching a Malaysia track would be like 60 C sometimes. And it wasn't, it was in the mid thirties and it was at night. So you had no solar radiation making it worse. It just seems like, I, I think really when, the, when they're talking about not getting air, I think it's just the humidity meant that they were at the point where their sweat wasn't evaporating and cooling them anymore. And I, I think that's what the issue is. And, you know, maybe those conditions do need to be looked at, but I don't think it's an unsolvable problem. George was reporting 50 degrees in the cockpit, which is which is absolutely unbearable. It's, here in the UK, it was 22.5 and I was sweating. So I don't know how the drivers were feeling that 50 degree heat. The Qatari Grand Prix next year in 2024 is at the beginning of December. And I'm being told that the temperatures and the humidity is a lot, lot cooler. So I'm hoping for better conditions at the Lucelle tr uh, track next year. But Carl, we have a question from Hamza on Twitter and he's asking... What do you guys make of Mercedes starting Lewis on softs? I believe this was a root cause of Lewis's crash as it forced him to be aggressive with his race start. And also, do you think we could have challenged Max for a win here? The W14 was showing at serious pace. It's interesting that obviously they're P2 and P3. I think if... Hamilton was much further down the pack like he was in the sprint race it would make a little bit more sense to have him on such an aggressive strategy naturally sometimes with two drivers you go on two different strategies and you hope that you know one's going to work best for you and then they can help each other out but I think perhaps a bit of short-termness and sort of a result of the lack of data teams have had from this weekend because corners have been changing and the amount they can run the tyres has been changing. So they're really not sure how things are going to go. And they perhaps had too much faith in the soft. And as Matt mentioned earlier, they were obviously hoping that Lewis could get ahead of Max and then he could do the undercut. But the softs just weren't going to hold up for that so do i think that mercedes could have won the race Ugh. i just think this max verstappen is sadly just a bit too unstoppable this season um but i think certainly they would have been very very close behind him uh, i will agree with you in terms of them winning the race i don't think them winning the race was ever in the cards even if they got the perfect start as to the soft tire, I, I mean, we sort of mentioned it before a bit, but to answer the question directly, I don't think the soft tire was, uh, was any cause at all of that accident. That was just a straight up Lewis Hamilton mistake. Um, strategically, yeah, uh, they, their, their plan was to get Lewis in front of Max and either make Max chase him and wipe out his tires too quickly or you know, get a gap and come back and and um and get off early because he only really needed three or four laps on those tires and then he could go to the end with the tires that he had left or maybe inherit a lucky safety car and get off them then so it, the point though was to put red bull in a strategic bind where you had george on the same strategy and you had lewis on an alternate strategy but unlike mercedes you only had max up at front because perez was starting from the pit lane don't forget so I, I think it was I think it was a bold choice by Mercedes strategy. I think effectively, and you heard this on Lewis's radio, that it was a sacrifice of him a bit 
you know, he's like, look, he's like, I'm looking at these, I'm looking around guys. What have you done to me here? <laughs> but Mercedes is like, well, what, what we've done is use you as a, as a pawn in our chessboard against Red Bull to try and get George as far up the field or maybe a win. And maybe Max chases you, gets stuck in traffic, and suddenly we can get George to the finish line first. But on straight pace, no, no. And honestly, um, Piastri may be about the same pace, but had Norris been ahead of Piastri, which he almost was at the last pit stop, I don't, I don't think they're catching McLaren either. I'm, I, I will just, and I know it's going to be painful, but just better to take your medicine, eat your vegetables now, kids. I do believe McLaren has the second fastest car, just period, right now. Faster than Ferrari. Fast. I think Ferrari, Mercedes are tied for third right now, depending upon the track and the conditions and, you know, who gets what right. But but it, it looks to me very much like right now, uh, McLaren have the second best package in the field. I think I'll have to concur with that with you, Matt McLaren. I think oh, as much as it pains me to say it on a Mercedes-focused podcast, I think McLaren are the fastest car and also the fastest pit stop. 1.8 seconds Ooh. with uh, Lando Norris, which it took me two seconds just to watch it. So that's how that's how fast they were. Another question from Twitter, Peter Cummings. Uh, Matt, let's go to you. So considering the similarities between the circuits in Japan and Qatar, in that both are predominantly made up of high-speed corners, how do you explain Mercedes being so much more competitive in Qatar, especially relative to Ferrari and McLaren, which you've just mentioned? Okay, well, I think I've partially answered this earlier, but I will I will reiterate, reiterate huh? possibly I'll also pronounce some of my words if I feel like it. Part of it was the tires because the tires were not being pushed to a point of degradation. So one of the issues with the, one of the biggest issues with the Mercedes is they struggle for rear downforce. So on rear limited tracks, they tend to do poorly and they're more set up the way their floor fences and things like that are set up more to be good in low speed corners. This is almost all high speed corners except for turn six. But they could essentially lean on the mechanical grip of these rear tires because they didn't have to worry about running out of them before their competitors. So that gave them one big advantage. And then I honestly think the other thing that really kind of worked in their favor was the highest speed turns on the track, 12, 13, were the ones where they were having trouble with the curbs. And there they changed the track limits. And the cars weren't able to use the curbs to the same effect. And again, that's just going to be a narrowing of the advantage of your of your Ferraris and 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 McLarens and Red Bulls that have better performance through there. Ferrari was just off this weekend too. I was surprised. I thought they would do a little bit better than they did. Although obviously, you know, we didn't get to see signs on track, but they they really just never had the pace that I expected them to. And I, I don't really know why. It is exciting. I just want to say that all the teams, we have this top four now emerging and getting so much closer to Red Bull and we're getting a real fight for every qualifying and every race. And then sometimes, you know, Piastri is only a few seconds behind Max and we're like, wow, um, just as Max has won the championship going into the latter half of the season. But I think that's what every F1 fan wants, no matter what team you support is this close racing. And like we've said, McLaren have got this quick car now. Mercedes have some upgrades coming at Austin. We spoke about them bringing in a new floor. So, you know, that could 
be a little bit of difference as well and we could get even closer. So I think as we approach the end of the season and then I know I'm like wishing wishing the season away here, we think about the next one as well. I think that's something as all fans to be super excited about. Yeah, and, and we are starting to get to the convergence part of this regulation set, which is, which is, a, you know, kind of a short one, but uh, you know, let's, let's recall by the time we got to 2017, Ferrari had figured out their power unit enough that they were able to mount a proper challenge to, to Mercedes in the previous set of regulations. So it's not surprising to me to see not only the teams behind Red Bull getting closer and more competitive, but to see the gap to Red Bull coming down. The, the Red Bull has picked all the low-hanging fruit, or most of it, I presume. And uh, the other teams are just catching up to where those, the, those tasty, juicy morsels are located. And the fact that McLaren has been able to make so much progress across a single season has to be, like, it has to be good news in the offices of Mercedes and Ferrari. And, and, you know, Alpine, all the teams that think they might have a, a, a shot at um, tilting at the occasional podium. Um, yeah, so next season, uh, I will be very curious to see what Red Bull brings next season and where everybody is in relation to them. But I, regardless of whether they have much of a fight or not, the, all the other places are going to be just amazing to watch over the course of the season, I think. And not forgetting 2026, there's new regs coming in, which is just around the corner. So that's definitely a, a, another point, which which we could probably do a whole podcast on. But just to wrap up this podcast, we got a question from Adelaide on Twitter. So Cara, let's go to you first. After seeing how Lewis and George cooperate since 2022, do you think they are actually a good pair as teammates? This is such an interesting question. I think... They are based in terms of results. And I suppose that is how Mercedes and how we have to look at it. Lewis is third in the championship, as we've said. George is eighth, but he's getting much closer and he's doing really well in qualifying. I think they communicate quite well and we saw Lewis not being defensive and we've touched on George's personality and if he's reaching for something greater. I think there's, I think probably, as Matt said, immaturity is maybe the best word. I was about to use the word stroppy and that really feels unfair, but you sometimes get a, li- a, that, a little bit of that vibe and that's where my brain goes and you fear if George's personality was teamed up someone like Max or someone like Lance Stroll or someone a bit more on that they would just completely clash and actually maybe if George and Lewis met earlier in Lewis's career it wouldn't go very well but now Lewis has that experience and age so you know what I'm going to be positive and say yeah I do think they are good teammates yeah I would agree with you I mean if uh, as you correctly point out the number one thing is well how is our point scoring going and Russell is clearly quick and he's clearly capable of driving the car. And he's good. He's good. Fairly good in traffic. I mean, he's making all your standard rookie, you know, apex smashes and stuff like that. But on the whole, he, he's a good racer and he's quick and qualifying. And those two together don't always happen. Just asked uh, Botas. <laughs> um, so in that sense, yeah, I think they are well matched. They probably like 
to set the car up fairly similarly. Um, but I think it's just, uh, you know, I use the word maturity, which I used earlier, but it's just seasoning. George just needs a little more seasoning, I think. Long term, they're a very good pair. Right now, we see the friction because George is still finding his place in this world to a certain extent, if not from the team's point of view, from his own, from his own point of view, being comfortable with himself and what he's capable of and what he's not capable of. And, and he's still learning that to an extent. So that's also fair, you know, for, for, for drivers that age. But we'll see that, I believe, come on, because, because he has the qualities. Uh, he has the inherent quality of someone who will come to that. You know, he, he doesn't strike me as going off on Gasly-esque tangents, for example, when, when things don't go his way. Um, although that could just be my impression of Gasly. I, I haven't really paid a super amount of attention to him. It was just, I was thinking about the last race. Um, so yeah, I think they're good teammates. I, and, and as, you know, as much friction as there is on track, the really important thing is, can they work together off track together to make the car the best it can be? And I think you also see clear evidence of that as well. So I can understand the, the, the note of concern in your voice. And yeah, I think we'll still see a few, uh, little, um, contretemps from time to time. But on the whole, yeah, they, they are good teammates together. My new favorite phrase, Matt, is Gasly-esque tangent. I'm going to start using that in my everyday vocabulary. And what a perfect way to end. Cara, thank you so much. Matt, thank you so much for joining us here on the Silver Arrows podcast. And that's all we have time for this week. A massive thank you to Matt and Cara for joining us. Their social media handles are in the show notes. And thanks to you for listening. Do remember to follow us on Twitter at MercF1Pod and hit that follow button in your podcast app. If you're enjoying these episodes and feeling extra kind, drop us a review and share this episode with anybody who you think may enjoy it. We'll see you soon.